0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Ether Review. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. The Ether Review is a podcast about the applications of blockchain technology, from big business to governments to the software that powers our cars. This new iteration of the internet affects every part of our lives. By speaking to the people who work in this emerging field, we aim to decrypt this new technology and distribute the future that is already here. The Ether Review is sponsored by Consensus Systems, a blockchain venture production studio that uses Ethereum technology to build these centralized applications. To find out more, visit consensus.net that's c-o-n-s-e-n-s-y-s dot net or for cutting-edge commentary on the blockchain and decentralization space check out consensusmedia.net i talked to david bailey ceo of btc media last week Our initial interview plan was to talk about Poet, their proof of existence platform, which is set to be one of the truly revolutionary out-of-left-field blockchain use cases. Also in this conversation, though, we discuss BTCE's involvement with the Mt. Gox hack, which over several years drained 600,000 Bitcoin from what was then the world's foremost crypto exchange. Until last week, the hack had gone unsolved. We recorded this episode,
0: as news was breaking. Hey, and before we start on this, a like, quick question for you guys, Do, have y'all been following this BTCE Mount Gox story today?
1: I have not. What, what's been going on?
0: It, there is actually pretty significant evidence that either the owners of BTCE or investor into BTCE. Was the person behind hacking Mount Gox? And, Are you kidding uh, me?
1: Are you kidding
0: me? And That's... they arre- and they and they arrested the guy today in Greece. How insane is that? That is crazy. What a what a twist. What a twist. I, 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 I mean, and actually, like I've known a couple private details of the Mount Gox hack, so that I every story that was out there I knew wasn't correct because it was missing a couple elements that we know happened. And then Wiz Security, which was the group that Roger Veer funded to figure out what happened with the Mount Gox hack, released their report that referenced some of the details that I haven't seen anywhere else. And it's the first report I have seen that I consider comprehensive and actually matching the facts of the case. And so if that story is correct... The repercussions of this, like no one knows what they are exactly. Wow. And uh, it turns out that it's not just the hacker behind Mt. Gox, but this is also linked to the BitFloor hack, the Bitcoinica hack. And, well, I won't mention the other hack because it's not public. But the. Wow. I mean, I love Bitcoin. It's the Jerry Springer of technology, and it just keeps surprising you. It's insane.
1: Are you kidding me? That's like the awesomest thing ever. This is for once I'm actually going to have a
0: topical episode. Uh, uh, definitely. I've I've been basically engrossed in this for the past three hours, just reading the Bitcoin talk thread. And Hey, guys, before we move forward, will you give a little backstory about what Mount Gox is and who BTCE is? Ooh. <gasps> well, I mean... <laughs> That's... A... <laughs> so <laughs> where do we begin? So there, at, at first there was fire, and then... Um... <laughs> So I can give a 30 second answer. But you know, the the story of Mt. Gox is just the saga that goes on and on. And it's mixed up with Silk Road. There are mainstream uh, movie production companies trying to make movies about these two topics. But these movies can't actually be produced because the whole premise of the movie has to be rewritten after some of these events have occurred. But effectively, Mt. Gox used to be the biggest exchange in crypto. It started as Magic the Gathering online exchange by Jed McCaleb, who now runs Stellar. He sold the exchange to this guy, Mark Carpellis, who was a Frenchman. It grew to be, I mean, 90, 95% of all Bitcoin trading volume. It got shut down in February of 2014 and basically Mark Carpellis announced that they had lost all the Bitcoins. And, and then they claimed that Bitcoin had a technical flaw in it that was able to be utilized in order to steal Bitcoin from them. And they had lost, I think they said 850,000 Bitcoins. Um, that turned out not to be true. There's a lot of evidence that Mark basically committed fraud and, and perpetuated a Ponzi scheme. The Evidence that's come out says that he was, the hacks actually occurred over a long period of time, starting all the way back in 2012 or 2011.
1: It's billions of dollars. It's it's people actually built their fortunes. Oh man, I mean, it's just, it
0: was huge. Uh, The the price of Bitcoin going from 1000 to 200 in large part was because of the Mt. Gox hack. And to put it into context, what are the two biggest Bitcoin companies in your mind today? So so let's say like Coinbase and like blockchain.info, all right? It would be as if we found out that a C-suite member at blockchain.info hacked Coinbase, stole all the Bitcoins in Coinbase, and then was secretly using blockchain.info to launder those Bitcoins into his own account. And in context of when this happened, this was even bigger than that because Coinbase might be, I don't know, let's say half of the Bitcoin market or you know a little bit less. Mt. Gox was 90% plus. It was Bitcoin to some people. So, and then BTCE is the oldest continuously operated Bitcoin company in the world. It's a exchange started by these Russian guys that then moved to Cyprus where you'd come and open an account. No one's going to ask you for any type of personally identifying information. And that's where all the kind of criminals of the world went to go sell their bitcoins. So basically, they were putting more money into people's accounts than what exactly were they doing? They basically they described the flaw a little bit in the summary of the report, but A hacker was basically able to empty Mt. Gox's hot wallet and the hacker was basically able to drain that hot wallet over a multi-year period. But as they were draining the wallet, it was counting the money that was being withdrawn from the hot wallet as a duplicate deposit. So it also credited 40,000 bitcoins to people's accounts, but over 600,000 bitcoins were stolen and withdrawn.
1: 600,000 bitcoins. (sighs) BTCE has
0: always been pretty dodgy. I used to use them back in the day, but they've never been hacked themselves. Yes and no. There has been some circumstantial evidence that there's been some small hacks there, but yes, people knew that they were the place that money laundering was being done. The guys behind BTCE are pretty well known in the Russian community. We have a Moscow office and one of our investors is Russian and you know, he's always told us that if we ever needed to talk to the BTCE guys, he could call them up on their cell phone in 15 minutes. So, it's not like these were like truly anonymous people. I think they were just not well known in the in the West, but no one knew that they were actively engaged or involved in it. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Wow. It's funny.
1: I it's been so long since I've really looked at Mount Gox, you know, saga. But I do remember there was extra money floating around in there that was not real, right? There was a couple of trading bots on there
0: that were behaving very suspiciously. One of which was named Willy. <laughs> one was named Williebot, and there was another one depositing fake USD deposits. So I think I think it's that there was a hacker that stole the funds, and then there was also Carpellus who was unwilling to admit that this was happening, perpetuating a Ponzi as he's not. Totally understanding how he's being robbed. Jesus. What an idiot. And what, I mean, it's not, he's a monster,
1: actually. You know, people kill themselves uh, oh yeah. over that. Oh, yeah. It's pretty extreme stuff, and that's a phenomenal amount of money. And, well, I hope that guy goes to jail forever. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, once, I've been hacked before. Back in the day, I was hacked... And via that hack, the attacker attacked BitPay and was able to compromise BitPay's system. And then they got inside of BitPay's system, impersonated their CFO, and was able to steal Bitcoins. I, it was quite a significant amount of Bitcoin. If I remember correctly, I think it was 5,000 Bitcoins. Those funds ended up at BTCE. But BitPay reached out to BTCE and said, hey, you know, these are the stolen Bitcoins. Can you do anything? Can you help us? Can you return the funds? Can you give us information about the identity of this person? and BTCE is like, F off. And it's just like, you know, this is cosmic karmic justice coming to BTCE. I mean, this is, they've they've deserved this for a long time.
1: This reminds me as well of the Sheep Market hack.
0: So when Sheep Market was hacked, which
1: was the successor to the Silk Road, right? You know, everyone's kind of had this idea, wow, you know, 100,000 Bitcoins have been stolen from Sheep Market or $100 million, I can't remember. But what do you know if they weren't actually looking at a BTCE? wallet yep (laughs) so really they're the exchange at the heart of all of this bad behavior so yeah well there you go so we actually scheduled this conversation to talk about proof of existence or poet a project that is coming out of btc media but also i suppose the role of the media in the uh, bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystems and blockchain ecosystems and the role of blockchain and cryptocurrency in the media ecosystem, which is this kind of interesting two-way street, especially illustrated by today's news. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tell me where you want to start. Let's start with a quick rundown of proof of existence. So this is a new product and blockchain powered service
0: that BTC Media is launching in the next
1: four weeks, is it? Is it launching in the next month?
0: Yeah, so we we already have some alpha software out that you can actually see right now and, and play with. We're having a token sale on August 8th, and I think we have a beta planned for Q3 or Q4 of this year, but you should reference the website on the exact dates. I'm I'm speaking off the cuff on that. So I guess a good place to start is I can kind of share a little bit of why this product came to be and why it's coming from BTC Media. Proofofexistence.com is something from the Bitcoin community way back in the day. It was, in our opinion, the first non-Bitcoin blockchain application it, it's a service where you can go to the website you can take a document upload this document it's hashed that hash is included into the bitcoin blockchain and then anyone else who has a duplicate copy of that file can then go and upload that file to proofofexistence.com and if it's the same file the hashes will match so proof of existence is was you know it's something that's used every day it's something that's very well known in the space but its viability commercially is limited because there's just a very niche level of use cases for it. And so when we were building a new version of Bitcoin Magazine to be relaunched, we started experimenting with how could we use proof of existence as a tool that we could basically make Bitcoin Magazine a a better experience for our readers and we could do some cool, nerdy things with. This kind of led us down this road of, building something that was much more than a feature for Bitcoin Magazine it became its own product. We basically took proof of existence and we added a unique architecture to it that allows us to store different types of of metadata and include that into the hashes of the files that are being uploaded so that you can now discover content that has been hashed via this proof of existence notary and you can discover all sorts of different pieces of information about that content. In theory, I'd be able to go to a proofofexistence.com website, search, and discover an article related to BTC Inc., a timestamp of when it was uploaded, what party uploaded it, and then different types of important pieces of metadata that aren't discoverable right now. And we took that idea and we applied it to our media content. So what if we took every piece of media content that we published at BTC Media, every different creative asset that we had? So Maybe a quote, photos, articles, et cetera. We hashed those pieces of content with metadata like who the author was, what the word count is, what the language is, what time it was published, when the last time it was edited, and most importantly, what are the terms if you want to license this content. And then We've been hashing that content onto the Bitcoin blockchain in a way that's done as efficiently as possible. Because, of course, if we hashed every file directly to the Bitcoin blockchain, the the fees of that would add up. So this is what we designed. And the commercial applications for this for publishers starts to become pretty wide as soon as this catalog becomes filled with all of these different creative assets that you can discover. So for example, someone can go to a Bitcoin Magazine article right now. On the side of the page, you'll see something that says "Published on Poet. You can click that and it'll take you to effectively a title of that piece of content. And you can see all this associated metadata and you can purchase the rights to license that content from Bitcoin Magazine right there without ever having to talk to us manually or individually, which is really great for a publisher. And we really designed this from the ground up to be something that was useful to us as a publisher. And I think that that's part of what makes this project really unique is that, you know, we work with a lot of different blockchain companies that are out there building commercial applications. And their big challenge is finding a customer to use their product. And the months and months and months of time it takes to find a a customer who may or may not be committed to a product long term. For us, we designed this so that we were the first customer. And so it's a lot easier to build a product when the customer is involved in kind of every step of the process of what is actually useful and what actually provides value.
1: Transaction throughput. So, we're getting a scaling solution. Finally, the idiocy seems to be coming to an end and we're getting Segwit. What is the long-term outlook for the cost of committing this data to the Bitcoin blockchain?
0: Yeah, so it's completely open. So, any media company or service can integrate Poet, and it's also completely free to use in terms of hashing all of your content against the blockchain effectively as a publisher your experiences you integrate with this service all of your creative assets are then hashed to the blockchain and stored in a wallet that we call a portfolio so i can actually log into to to our publisher account and i can see all the different assets that i own and then i can put you know like i said place any type of licensing terms i want on that and as people approach our website i can see who's purchased license to our content did they purchase a one-time license Did they purchase a In perpetuity license, did they purchase a license via a payment channel where the license only lasts for a certain amount of time? And any other types of extensible, unique features that I, as a publisher, can choose to include into the licenses I set. BTC Media is the first customer. So all of our media properties that we own will be using proof of existence. But I think they've also already started announcing some of the alpha testers that are coming on to help us, which include sites like the Merkle and CoinSpeaker, Chain B, which is the most popular blockchain media site in China, and a couple others. And they have a long list of both digital currency media companies that will be using this product and also some mainstream media companies as well that we're pretty excited to announce when the time's right. So in theory, I mean, we're, we're really just using proof of existence and hashing into the Bitcoin blockchain because the Bitcoin blockchain at this point is the most secure, but we can really use any different blockchain that's out there. So Ethereum or any of the other blockchains, if you know whoever solves the scalability issue first, we can leverage However, the architecture that we've designed for this batches transactions together so that, you know, every single time someone hashes a piece of content or uploads a piece of content, we're not storing that immediately into the Bitcoin blockchain. We're batching it together with a whole, a big pile of other claims that have been made over, you know, the past few hours. And all of that's being rehashed. And then that hash is being stored on Bitcoin. So for us, scalability is not a huge issue because we can just kind of take a hash of a hash and group transactions together. Oh, a piece of cake. Exactly. I mean, that's POET
1: summed up quite well, isn't it? I mean, simplicity is beautiful. That's exactly the kind of thing, I suppose, that we kind of were led to believe would eventually be enabled by Bitcoin. I mean, personally, it's very clear that Bitcoin was never going to be a consumer payment solution just by virtue of its poor usability and lack of scalability, lack of transaction throughput, and long time to transaction settlement. But this is the kind of stuff that I guess always seemed like it would really be enabled by the Bitcoin and blockchain technologies. So it's awesome to see that like BTC Media, the original Bitcoin and blockchain media outlet, is actually pioneering the way for like proper use cases of public blockchain technology.
0: Well, you know, that's that's what we told ourselves, like, we're huge nerds about this stuff. We love Bitcoin. We love blockchain. We love Ethereum. I mean, we are the biggest nerds you can find on this topic. And so we thought, you know, Bitcoin magazine is beloved by other nerds. If we're going to talk about this stuff all day, you know, we need to be leveraging the applications itself. And so, like I said, this started as a feature, and we were talking to our investors in China about this new feature we were really excited about, which happens to be FBS, Boshin and Vitalik Buterin's venture fund. And we're talking to Boshin, one of the managing partners, and we're telling him we're all excited. We're kind of demoing the feature. And he's like, what in the heck are you guys thinking? This is way bigger than just you know one feature for one website. This is something that other people would really want as well. This needs to be its own product. It was, you know, kind of from that moment that it dawned on us, actually, yes, the number of things that this can do is so wide and the possibility so extensible. We really need to have this project have its own development team and biz dev people that are focused full time on onboarding other publishers and extending the number of use cases it can match for. I mean, there's some really cool stuff. Like I'll tell you one feature that I'm super excited about for Poet is the ability to not only license a piece of content, but also pay for a 302 redirect directly from a publisher. So right now, I'm sure you know what content marketing is. There's a whole business around basically writing articles and submitting them to media companies or other websites to publish and trying to get your link to your business or service included at the bottom of that article. So you're building SEO value. And it's a very convoluted, difficult, not transparent industry. And it's a real pain in the ass for companies to effectively improve their SEO ranking. Well, via Poet, let's say I'm an Ethereum company. I could go to this browser. I could say, hey, I want to find content that's been published about Ether that ranks in the top 20 Google search results. I can find a piece of content that matches those parameters, I can see the licensing terms and I can say, Hey, I'd like to buy this piece of content. Plus I want you to give me a 302 redirect from your website to my website. So that way all the sites that have linked to that piece of content on your web domain already are now automatically redirecting to my website. And I'm gathering all of that link juice. I'm going to pay you via a payment channel so that as soon as you disable that 302 redirect coming to my website, I stop paying you. And so now instead of me having to go try to like manipulate my way up the Google search results, I can just go to someone who already has the Google search ranking that I want, and I can just purchase that rank directly from them without having to do it in this roundabout way. And so that's really exciting for publishers because we have all sorts of content that maybe we've published that's years old, but there's no monetization path for that content for us anymore. You know, it's just long tail traffic that ranks for a very niche word. But if there's a company out there that wants to rank for that niche word, now I'm able to basically get liquidity from that piece of content that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to have done before without this really extensive manual negotiation process and I can make more money. So it's good for publishers because they can re monetize old content good for businesses because now they have a more direct path of getting the search engine growth that they're looking for. And that's just like one, little tiny use case out of you know literally hundreds that we've talked about and brainstormed that is going to be really powerful that you haven't been able to do before without a solution and service like this
1: wow i mean um, this is probably a rush of blood to the head but i mean i suddenly this seems like my favorite blockchain application
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it's working that's the craziest thing too i mean we didn't announce the project until we had an alpha version working it's still very rough and there's still a lot of bugs and there's a lot of little i mean I, so I don't want to over, over hype, but it's a working solution that we've spent over nine months building and we're really excited to get it deployed. And like I said, I mean, there's literally no cost to publishers to get their content hashed. And so there's no reason for them not to use it over a long period of time. And, and we hope publishers will join us in bug testing and alpha testing and making feature requests and really making this a decentralized tool for publishers around the world.
1: It's funny, you know, there was always this talk about what's the killer app of blockchain. And for me, it always seemed like document management, but I, I never really wanted to say it because it sounded so boring. And then I met this guy, Michael Manelli, from a company called Yzen in London just about a month ago. And he explained to me that way back in 95, they'd developed a very similar system to what you're describing that not only hashed documents but then chained those documents together (laughs) using hashes and stored them on shared databases so that they could be mutually signed by the holders of public-private key pairs so that documents could be worked on as a collaborative group with multiple eyes for particularly sensitive medical cases. And I remember Daniel Novi at ConsenSys managed to swing a deal with BV Rio, which is a logging and materials company in Brazil, where he hashed basically the sustainability and legality assessments of timber shipments into the Ethereum blockchain. And now to hear you doing something very similar for news stories and for the rights to republish and to leverage this kind of stuff for the rights to republish and the rights to redirects, it seems like we're actually seeing what may not be as glamorous as a new monetary system, but I believe is actually where the real value lies in public blockchains powered by cryptographic tokens like Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. It's awesome to see this use case being continually developed, you know, especially in such creative ways.
0: I mean, it's great for content creators too. I mean, Arthur, let's take you as an example, all right? So you know, in the past, if I had come across a podcast that you had done that I thought was just amazing and I really wanted to republish on our website, The process for me to get that piece of content and the right to publish from you can be pretty labor intensive. It's either, you know, I have to get someone from our team, oftentimes a lawyer to try to track down some sort of contact information, reach out, negotiate some sort of agreement, read and vet that to make sure we know what we're signing. I mean, if I'm having to pay a lawyer for just 30 minutes of their time, we're talking about $250 in cost automatically. So this is something where you, Arthur, as a content creator, can go ahead and just set the licensing terms of what anybody who wants to buy this content, this is what they can pay. And then as a publisher, I I don't have to ask your permission anymore. I can just purchase based on the terms that you set. And so now I legally have the right to republish that content. We did a financial transaction between us, but it didn't require any manual person involved in that. And so now I can go around the web buying $5 and $10 articles all day, every day, because now the economics of that actually makes sense. And now our readers on Bitcoin Magazine can get access to a lot more content because now we have a whole world of data types and quality information for them that we can purchase that in the past we'd have to have a huge army of freelancers and a lot of people on staff to create if we were going to do it all internally ourselves.
1: Well, now you can use an algorithm to just identify the exact content you like and have your own little automated worker do all of this. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it, it, it gets really cool. Once you start having that catalog built out, there's so many extra layers of stuff you can build. Do, do you know the service called um, – it's like on the bottom of a lot of websites. Tab- Tableau? I think it's tab- – well, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. But let's say you're on Business Insider or whatever, and you read an article. And then at the bottom, it's like recommended articles for you, and they're sponsored articles. Yeah. You talk to a company that does basically that. They told us what they were excited about for this use case is that once the licensing rights are included in this catalog, they as a company can basically have a bot that purchases content in real time based on world events that are happening and be able to serve that content to you in one of those you know, sponsored boxes in a way to maximize your click-through rate to actually engage with that content. So for example, let's say you're reading an article on ESPN and there's a terrorist attack that happens in Paris, a bot could go onto the POET catalog, acquire content about ISIS, and then immediately serve that article to you on an ESPN website as a recommended article for you to read and engage with. And all of this can be done in real time. And so in the same way that we already have that with advertising, where people are basically determining what ad to show you in real time based on how what you're most likely to click on now we can start actually showing you content in real time based on what you're most likely to engage with
1: so we might actually wind up seeing an improvement in the quality of content that we're consuming rather than this perpetual march into kind of the banal sponsored content garbage that seems to have been happening over the last kind of four to five years
0: exactly or the sponsored content that you're reading is gonna be of such a high quality, you're not gonna even be able to tell the difference between what's an article that's you know, making you hungry for cookies and what's an article that's top 10 tastiest cookies uh, eaten around the world. <laughs>
1: There's a darker side to this though, and this is just a weird connection that's happening in my mind as we speak. It stems from a, a conversation we had about the uh, weaponized AI propaganda machine over on State Change, which I'll probably republish in this feed at some stage. And what was interesting about the Trump election was that a bunch of weird things came together, some fake news websites, but in particular, a company called Cambridge Analytica, which served individually tailored, basically propaganda feeds through people's Facebook feeds to individuals with the intent to change their minds and get them to vote for Trump. And they've done this for a whole bunch of strange and sinister causes, and it makes me wonder If this next step in the automation of content discovery and then feed building is going to potentially have some unforeseen and more sinister consequences, far be it from me to speculate.
0: Well, I I would agree with you, except, you know, the one nice thing about a distributed ledger is that transfer of rights and ownership is transparent. So at the bare minimum, you'd at least be able to know who is creating the content that you're reading. And you know, what was the original source of that content. You know, while you're you're gonna have to read the labeling, you at least know what the ingredients are and where they came from.
1: Right, right. Even if the ultimate mix may be toxic. Not right. I'm being way too pessimistic. Here. <laughs> <So I'm> totally <laughs> looking on the dark side of what is clearly a really awesome development.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's also made us spend some time to think about even what is a publisher. And in a lot of ways, our role as a publisher is going away because we're really just content curators and we're not the ones creating the great content. We're just finding people who create great content, locking them into employment contracts and, you know, curating that content for our readership. And I don't know if that role is going to be as needed in the future. As soon as content creators are able to basically share their content with people globally, and they're not beholden to whoever is the media organization that knows who they are. And they're going to be able to really, capture a lot more of the value in that economic transaction that includes content creators, publishers, and advertisers, because they have a way to start linking directly with who the advertisers are or who the monetization path is, rather than kind of be abstracted and filtered via a publisher. So I don't really know what the landscape looks like for publishers long-term, but it's going to be much more difficult in a decentralized peer-to-peer market to, for publishers to have the same role that they've had in the past.
1: It's interesting you say that, because it is worth noting, in spite of the reach that the internet allows a regular guy or gal, most of the Ether reviews and Beyond Bitcoin's listenership came from, and still does come from, Let's com and that particular podcast feed, in fact. More than half, and without that, I mean, there would be so much less reach, and so the central publisher still plays a huge role in sourcing and delivering content, but if poet can take over this role, as at least seems it very plausibly could, that would mean a genuine change in the way that we do things. A genuine end to the newspaper, right? Print media.
0: Right. I mean, there'll be a role and value in content curation, but that's a lot less valuable than publishers are used to in today's economic model, where all advertising must route through them, and, you know, all content must route through them, and there's really no way to go around them if you're a freelancer out there starting your own blog is not necessarily a tenable solution if you don't already have that distribution and you don't already have that relationships with advertisers and they don't have a way of discovering your content
1: syndication is everything you you have to syndicate otherwise no one's ever going to hear your voice right well david this is awesome because we've just i mean just by the fact that you're in the media and you've built this you've really answered one of my core questions for this interview without me ever having to voice it and that was what does blockchain mean for media itself? And it's sat there unanswered, lots of good ideas, but no real meaningful, I don't know, developments, you know? it's—it's We've talked about it and talked and talked, but this seems like the first time something's really happened.
0: Yep. You know, what's been most amazing to us is how many ideas other publishers, other content creators have had that had never even crossed our mind. And so truly the beauty of a a decentralized tool like this is that it's going to be able to, listen to the community itself and listen to what people want and where the most value can be created. And I'm really excited to see where this project, project sits in a year and in two years and in five years.
1: Cool, well, um, where can people find out more, David?
0: PO.ET is the website. And as you consume content on the web, you're going to see popping up more and more beside the articles you read. I highly recommend people follow the project, join the Slack, join the community, let the team know what type of features you want to see. And let's decentralize content. Let's decentralize publishing and and let's put word to action and really bring blockchain into the real world.
1: Bloody brilliant. That was an amazing interview, man. Thanks heaps.
0: (laughs) Thank you, guys. You put it well. Distribution's everything. So we really appreciate the opportunity to to share what we're working on and widen the community.
1: You've been listening to The Ether Review. I'm Arthur Falls. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit etherreview.info.